This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, it's Tuesday, March the 29th. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. We've got an awful lot coming up for you in today's programme. And firstly, plans for a massive theme park in North Kent have been withdrawn. It's been 10 years since the idea of London Resort on the Swanscombe Peninsula was first suggested and dubbed the UK's answer to Disneyland. Well, today, the people behind the £2.5 billion project have pulled their application due to what they say are transport and environmental issues. However, they say they are still committed to London Resort and will look to resubmit a bid towards the end of the year. Well, I've been getting reaction from Jamie Robbins from Bug Life, a group that's fought to protect the land. Well, we're delighted that the London Resort have withdrawn their current application. Um, it's, as, I've, as we've said repeatedly, it's one of the most important wildlife sites uh, in the southeast of England. It's teeming with wildlife. It's, it's an important community resource and it's just the wrong place for a theme park. Uh, however, we they say they're going to resubmit their application, so we're we're not we're not sitting back and relaxing. We're just preparing ourselves for for the next battle to try and save Swanscombe. Yeah, I mean this is a, a very long running issue. It's now well ten years since the idea was was first suggested. They they've cited uh, transport and environmental issues as to reasons why at the time being they're they're pulling their application. Do you know too much more about that at this particular stage? We, we don't know anything new, but I think it's important to say that yes, the London Resort has been. 10 years in the in the making um however they themselves have known from their own wildlife surveys for nearly 10 years now that the site is nationally important they've known it's it's full of rare scare, and scarce uh, spiders and bees and other other bugs it's full with with uh, breeding birds and otters and water voles they've known this all along but they persisted in trying to force a theme park onto a wildlife site their their, their job has been made more difficult by natural england's fantastic decision last year to designate it as a site of special scientific interest um but that interest was there all along it's not new and one of the things we're we're still finding is that the london resort are claiming time and time again that they're trying to convert a contaminated brownfield into a theme park and offering jobs it's not the contaminated wasteland they're they're trying to describe it as it's a thriving wildlife filled uh, haven on the doorstep of uh, north kent so it really does need protecting. As you mentioned earlier, they have said that they still are committed to this project and they do plan to put in an application again towards the end of the year. So you're not being complacent. I mean, what now can you do? We, we all secretly hope it will never happen. We suspect it will come back because it does seem to be the project that just won't go away. But I think the we just need to keep drumming home the message that we're not against theme parks. This is just really the wrong place for it. Um, the habitat that's left at Swanscombe, the, the wonderful grassland, scrub, brownfield areas and wetland are so unique that there's there's nowhere else like it in the Thames estuary or the southeast of England. So to lose it would be an absolute travesty. They need to look somewhere else. They've got the time now to go away, start from scratch. And if they've got the billions of pounds behind them that they say they have, 
go do it somewhere else. Um, we spoke last week when the local MP, Gareth Johnson, withdrew his support for the project. We've also heard some very big names over the past 10 years have withdrawn their support as well, most recently BBC and ITV. Do you think this project in itself has become a little bit tainted now? Has it got a bit of a reputation, do you think? It does seem to have a reputation for false starts, let's call them false starts. Uh, but I'm I'm optimistic now that after big names have withdrawn their support for the application, uh, you know, important local MPs have come out against the development and uh, local businesses are standing up against the development as well as a local community that hopefully there's this momentum against the London Resort that can that can put it to bed permanently. A big meeting to discuss the future of London Resort had been due to take place today. That's now been called off. Ahead of that meeting, we'd heard from Dartford MP Gareth Johnson, who'd recently withdrawn his support for the theme park project. Here's a reminder of what he had to say. The idea of a theme park was a good one. I supported it. I thought that actually this could bring jobs to the area. And it's become increasingly clear, however, that over the last 10 years, Jobs have actually been lost as a consequence of the theme park proposals because the businesses that exist on the peninsula now are unable to plan for the future. At the moment, we have an environmental habitat that exists there that's actually really vital for the local area, for local wildlife. It's a, a very important sort of area, if you like, regionally for migrating birds and so on. Well, French entrepreneur P.Y. Jabot, who you may remember was the man behind the Millennium Dome, now the O2, is the person in charge of the London Resort project. In a statement issued today, he says, we will continue our engagement with the local community, statutory bodies, landowners and others to make sure we can reach as many agreements as possible before resubmission. Make no mistake, we are still 100% committed to this amazing project and we will resubmit before the end of 2022 and look forward to delivering a world-class entertainment resort. The UK deserves better and we will make it happen. Well, you can read that statement in full today and let us know what you think. Will the theme park ever be built? Is this just another delay? Or do you think it would be good for the area? Perhaps you would prefer the site to be protected for wildlife. We'd love to know your thoughts. Just head to kentonline.co.uk. Kent Online News. A man who assaulted a woman at hotels in Dover during a campaign of coercive and controlling behaviour has been jailed for more than three years. A court heard Floyd McNally-Jones controlled his victim's lifestyle, told her what to do and made abusive comments about her. The 27-year-old, who hasn't got a permanent address, has also been given a restraining order. A man who threatened a shop worker with a knife during a robbery in Gillingham has been sent to prison. Kai Hooper held the weapon to the cashier's face before stealing alcohol, bread and pasta from the store on Sturdy Avenue last month. The 35-year-old from 3rd Avenue was identified using CCTV and has now been locked up for more than four years. Police have released a CCTV image meantime of a man they're hunting after cash was nearly stolen from a pensioner on Sittingbourne High Street. The victim withdrew money from a bank and put it in his car when a man distracted him by saying he'd had a flat tyre. A woman then tried to steal the money but was stopped. You can see that picture on the website. Now, a former P&O worker says he's had grown men phoning him in tears as their futures remain uncertain. It's now 12 days since around 800 staff were sacked without notice and sailings between Dover and Calais suspended. Well, Transport Secretary Grant Shapps has called for them to be reinstated and rules put in place to prevent replacement crew being paid below the minimum wage. However, P&O have today said that rehiring staff is impossible 
as it would lead to financial collapse. Lee Davison from Dover used to be a deck petty officer for P&O and is a union rep. He's been speaking to Jadzia from our colleagues at KMTV. Our members are in a bit of a position now. Some of them would like to go back. Some of them are questioning, do they really want to work for this company anymore? Um, so we just have to see what the company come back with um, and go from there, really. Would you personally go back? <sighs> now, there's a question. I'd have to sit down and seriously consider it, considering I've been there 30 years, um, whether I want to go back and work for the company in its current state is one question. Um, should there be a change at the top? Um, Mate, would I reconsider and think about it a bit more? I don't know. And until that happens, I'm sort of, uh, we are where we are, basically. P&O have, have said that if anyone kind of speaks to the, to the media or, or speaks out, they, their severance pay might be in jeopardy. Why, why did you decide to speak out? Well, the thing is, obviously, I was dismissed from the company on the 17th with immediate notice. Um, so I don't come under the ratings terms and conditions of employment. I haven't yet signed my non-disclosure agreement, so as far as I'm concerned, I'm in a no-man's land. And at the end of the day, all I'm doing is telling the truth. Do you think that P&O should be required to reinstate the 800 workers? Yes. What have these people done wrong? It's not these people on 20, 30, 40,000 pound a year that have caused this problem with the company. It's bad management and people on 325,000 pound a year. Now, Peter Applethwaite said in the Transport Select Committee, no one will walk away with less than £15,000. That man earns more than £15,000 in one month. So you tell me why our members are being penalised for just wanting a good wage, sick pay, collectively bargain terms and conditions, leave and a pension. Can you tell me a little bit about your own experience? You've touched on it, that you're working there for 30 years. Um, are you from Dover? Yes, yes. Uh, second generation seafarer, my father was a seafarer. Um, I went, finished school in 1992, had a few months off and then joined the ferries. Um, it's, and I've said this before, it's not just a job, it's a way of life because we spend half our time with the guys on board the ship, so it's like having a second family and your cabin on board's your second home. So it's a lot more than just a job. How has it impacted you? Did, did you expect it to happen? No, no, not at all. Uh, in fact, we were due to meet the company on the Friday, the day after, to discuss about how they're going to bring the new build vessels back from China. So, no, we weren't expecting this. It was a total bolt out of the blue. Um, obviously, me, myself, I just tried to keep busy. I'm dealing with everyone else's issues at the same time. So, yeah, we're just uh, moving forward slowly. But it's having a detrimental impact to people's mental health, um, the, the relationships with their families. A grown men ringing me up in tears over they don't know they're going to pay the mortgage, they've got young children to support. So it's going to have a devastating effect, not just to the guys that lost their jobs, but also for Dover. We really appreciate Lee speaking to us. Meantime, a second P&O ferry, the Pride of Kent, is being held by officials after failing safety checks. The company's chief exec has appeared before a Scottish Parliament committee today and said none of its ships will set sail unless they're absolutely safe. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. A Kent man who's just returned from an aid mission to Ukraine says he'll never forget seeing queues of thousands of women and children trying to cross the border. 
Brian Grove from Sittingbourne has worked as a volunteer for the NHS during the pandemic delivering vaccines. Well, he recently went to the war-torn country to try and help get people from bombed-out towns to Poland. And in fact, he even had to shelter himself shortly after arriving because of shelling nearby. Brian has been speaking to Lucy about his whole experience. I think the thing that affected me most, actually, was what I saw on the way into Ukraine. It was a very cold night when we crossed the border and there were thousands and thousands, um, mostly young women with young children, with a fair proportion of uh, quite elderly people as well. And even though there were, there must have been hundreds of tents put up by both the Ukrainian and Polish authorities with, you know, trying to put heaters in and everything, but there were still thousands standing outside in the cold, the, the children crying from the cold as mothers tried to protect them. And, you know, volunteers were handing out hot drinks, food, blankets, anything they could. And it didn't matter how much help there was. It wasn't enough. Um, that was probably the thing. Of my whole journey, that was probably the sort of thing that affected me most, actually, was actually on that border getting in there, which, you know, it was just horrible. You see the desperation. Yeah, it's such an awful situation for people who just over a month ago were just living their lives normally. It's it's hard to believe. I mean, if it seems weird to me that suddenly, you know, from delivering vaccines all over the place um, around Kent and East Sussex, suddenly to be in the middle of Ukraine, well, not in the middle of Ukraine, but in Ukraine um, for something like, yeah, doing something like that just seemed, yeah. I, I still feel, especially when I remember some of the things I saw there and at the reception centre on the way back into Poland I feel like pinching myself because somehow it doesn't seem real it seems like some sort of nightmare that you ought to be able to wake up from but you have to remember that the people out there they don't have that choice they can't wake up and find everything's gone back to normal. And what was the response from people when you turned up there I mean obviously people are going through just the most unbelievable you know their whole life has been turned upside down and and what what did they sort of say to all the all the volunteers? Everybody from I mean, I saw one or two sort of um, military officers, and both them and sort of other ordinary people in Ukraine. And actually, there's not much difference between them because all the military of uh, people in that village were actually civilians who had to become military officers to defend the village, and. Um, all of them were just sort of thankful that they weren't being forgotten. In fact, if there's one um, one memory I particularly took away, it's people saying to me, please don't let the world forget us. And um, because you work with the media, you know how you know, news stories move on to the next big thing that's happening, but this is going to be still happening. And it's very important that um, it doesn't get forgotten because the need is still out there. At the moment, the war is continuing, even when the war is won, because I have no doubt Ukraine will win this. Um, even when the war is won, there is an awful lot to do to try and restore 
even the beginnings of a semblance of normal life again. Whilst Brian was in Ukraine, he met a woman called Marta in Lviv. She's also been updating the podcast on the situation there. Now Ukraine is uh, like a one big family because we are united by one goal to get a victory and to uh, to save our independence. And uh, for ordinary people from Ukraine, it's very important to feel the support from another countries. And uh, I heard before that a lot of countries, they don't want to be involved in this war because of political or economical reason, and I can judge them. But uh, ordinary people should understand that we are not fighting only for our sovereignty and our territory. We're fighting for the basic fundamental European values, such as democracy, human rights, rule of law, and freedom. Uh, and the world should be a unit in this struggle, you know, because in another case, it means that tomorrow your neighbor will have a right to come to your house, to destroy it, to kill your children, to get away all your rights and freedoms and say, I will live here. And we want, we don't want to live in this world, you know. Um, I want to say that now Ukrainian, uh, we haven't any plans for future. We have plan only for one day. And the main point of this plan is to stay alive. And uh, yesterday we discussed with my husband the um, chemical attack, which can be implemented in our country and how we should act in this situation. And it's really very scary. It's scary because we know that it can be exist in any time. And uh, a lot of mothers who children are dying, they will never uh, smile again. And in this fighting, in this struggle, world should be unit because uh, if we will not uh, unite today, it means that the neighbor will knock to your door. And do you think enough is being done by other countries like the UK? Um, I can judge. Actually, we saw on our TV, on our mass media, that uh, uh, Great Britain totally supports Ukraine. But we want to feel uh, real uh, actions step by step in political, in economical sphere. I understood that maybe they want, they don't want to confront the situation, to escalate the situation. But, uh, but it means that if you don't uh, help you, if you don't help Ukraine, it means that you support Russia in his, in, in its actions, in, in uh, Putin's action, you know. That's why um, I can judge, but I know, uh, that uh, ordinary people from Great Britain, like uh, Brian, they really want to support us and we feel it. Um, what about uh, the government? I can uh, I can be sure that they do everything what can do. Because uh, sometimes when we ask, for example, to make some supply of gun, it's very important because we want to protect not only our territory. It's important to understand. We want to protect. We now we protect all Europe, and uh, uh, it's important to understand that uh, tomorrow, if uh, we will not get the winner in this fight, it can be a great. Uh, 
a, a huge problem and a huge strategy for all European citizens. It's very important to understand. Two very powerful interviews there on the situation in Ukraine right now. Peace talks have been taking place in Turkey today. Do listen to bulletins for the very latest on our sister radio station, KMFM. You can also head to the national and international news pages of Kent Online. Kent Online reports. A Maidstone mum has blamed a housing association for the death of her cat, which escaped through a broken fence and was then run over. It happened on Hermitage Lane weeks after the garden fence was damaged by Storm Eunice. The owner says it still hasn't been repaired. We have been in contact with the Housing Association and asked them for a comment. A Gravesend man has had a request to complete this year's virtual London marathon over several days turned down. Patrick Barden has cerebral palsy and needs a frame to get around, meaning he can't complete the 26.2 miles within the 24-hour limit. Now, the 29-year-old has previously been able to do the event over four or five days to raise money for charity. Organisers, however, say they're carrying out a review to make the event as inclusive as possible. We're being asked what we think about plans to build a multi-million pound bike factory in Ashford. You may remember we've mentioned this on a previous podcast. Brompton is thinking about developing its European headquarters on land near to Asda and the designer outlet. Now, if given the go-ahead, it would create thousands of jobs. A public consultation is being held in the town this evening. Meantime, we've got the next month to say what we think about plans for a huge solar farm near Ashford. The Stone Street Green project would cover about 400 acres of land not far from Aldington. Residents are concerned it'll overwhelm the village though and the East Tower Valley. More than 70 cases of fly tipping have been investigated in Ashford since the start of the year. A Faversham woman whose rubbish was found dumped in Kingswood in Chollock is among those to have been fined in recent weeks. Officers also managed to trace waste left in an alleyway near the Ashford Council office and on the Brookfield Road estate. And six £60,000 has been spent on renovating a pub garden in Medway to try and overcome its so-called unsavoury reputation. The new owners of the cricketers in Raynham have added decking, a covered outside seating area and private booths with TVs. You can head to Kent Online to see pictures of what it looks like. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Plus, you can also get access to the new ad-free Kent Online website by heading to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe news you can trust this is the kent online podcast this podcast is sponsored by the fg barnes group with showrooms in canterbury and maidstone offering a range of new and approved used cars including mg seat and Vauxhall.